I'm Cameron Silsby, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part two in the series, More of the Holy Spirit, 2022. The church has a long, complicated history of hearing from God's Spirit. Most Christians today do as well. But as Paul penned a letter to a small church in the city of Corinth, he seemed interested in how people and the church interact with God's Spirit and hear from Him, and what the point of all of it really is. Eight years ago, uh, I was a youth pastor with a dilemma. Uh, Josh, who is uh, the teaching pastor here now, but at the time was uh, just a video guy from a church in Portland, had just talked to me about being a part of this like hypothetical church plant that he might be help leading, and you know, no church name yet, no guarantees, just the possibility of something. Uh, My dilemma had less to do with the offer itself. My dilemma centered around how to figure out what God wanted me to do. Stay at the church I was at or step away from that church and join this thing that might potentially become a church plant down the road at some point. You know, how, how could I figure out what God wanted me to do? You know, starting a church is a good thing. Staying at an already established church is a good thing, too. What good thing did Jesus want me to do? So in the summer of 2014, as Pharrell Williams' single Happy was topping the charts, I sat in a closet underneath my stairs in complete darkness, crammed between a fake Christmas tree in its box and and piles of forgotten household goods, and I sat there trying to hear from God about this specific choice I had. And so I tried to limit all these distractions and just really, really focus on God while I was sitting in the dark, crammed between all of this stuff. I wondered how I would tell the difference between just the thoughts in my head and God's voice. Rewind the old history tape, some... 480 years before me in that dark closet, and let's focus in on the city of Munster in what is now Germany. Back in 1534, the city was taken over by a group of proto-communist religious revolutionaries denouncing the Catholic Church, abolishing all private property, with the hopes of creating a Protestant utopia in Munster. This is commonly referred to as the Munster Rebellion. But as things tend to go with utopias, this one turned out or turned into what would become an excellent horror movie if you guys want to write the script. Um, fairly soon after the city was taken over, an army surrounded the city and laid siege to it. The leaders of this revolution began to hear some bizarre things they attributed to prophetic words from God. A, a baker believed God had told him to charge the besieging army with only himself and a dozen or so compatriots God would miraculously defeat the army with. And that's where we get the term Baker's Dozen, actually. I'm joking. That's, that's, that was Levi. That was Levi. He wrote that comment on it. Okay. So uh, this, this Baker charges with his dozen or so compatriots. Um, and, you know, his, his, his charge ended the way that you would expect, with horrific death and mutilation. Um, In just a year's time, the city devolved into paranoia, compulsory polygamy, public executions, and starvation, which is kind of the 
the banner brand for Protestantism, if you didn't realize that. Just joking, we are Protestant. That's not part of it. Uh, a leader was declared the new King David. Munster was declared by Munster uh, the new Jerusalem, and yet ultimately the city fell to the besieging army. It wasn't pretty for those who survived the year in this horror only to fall into the hands of those taking the city back. To some level, at least, some of the people and leaders of Munster sincerely believed they were hearing from God. A baker charged at an entire army because he was, to some degree, convinced God had told him to do it. Now, rewind the history tape one more time, some 1,450 years prior to Munster, and you have this scene playing out involving a small group of people in a tiny church in the metropolitan city of Antioch. Acts 13 reads this, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. A group of Christians were gathered together, drawing near to God through worship and fasting, and then the Holy Spirit spoke. Someone or some of the people heard what the Spirit said, and this church chose to invest their resources to send out on a missionary journey Barnabas and Saul, who uh, we know of as Paul. Scholars think that the others mentioned in this scene were all candidates to send out on this missionary journey, but they chose two specific people because the Spirit told them to. Paul went on to plant churches all over the Roman Empire and to write the majority of what we call the New Testament. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, it's in the New Testament. It's after the book of Romans and before 2 Corinthians. As a church, we are devoting a few weeks or so to focus on the Holy Spirit certainly to learn more about the Spirit, but also to live in greater intimacy with Him. And and tonight, to learn how to be a conduit of the stuff the Spirit does. As a way to quickly recap last week, we talked about the definition of the Holy Spirit as God's person, God's power, and God's presence. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a human, but a person, and He's not an impersonal force, The Spirit does stuff. He is powerful and works to do things that are in line with God's kingdom, whether that's the slow work of transforming a person over a lifetime or a miraculous healing in a single moment. And the Spirit is the presence of God himself in our lives. We can develop and grow in intimacy with the Spirit as he is present in our lives. So if you missed last week, go back and listen to it on the podcast. Now, Look down at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 12, and go ahead and stand with me as a gesture of respect as we read the Scriptures. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Go ahead and skip down to verse 7. 
Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues." All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determined. These words are inspired by God. Go ahead and sit down. Paul, an early church leader and church planter, and remember the very same man that the Spirit called out at Antioch, is is writing to a church in the city of Corinth, and he tells them that he does not want them to be uninformed about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, uh, you may relate as you sit there in your seat because you might feel like you are uninformed about the gifts of the Spirit, and such is the state of much of the modern church. The Spirit is relegated to the sidelines with some honorary role in our salvation, but with little tangible impact on our daily lives. Uninformed of of what the Spirit actually does or can do in a person's life is more the norm. And, And that was me in a dark closet trying to hear from God. Paul's concern would certainly be for followers of Jesus that can relate. However, the church in the city of Corinth, they, they were not uninformed in the same way. In fact, by the picture that Paul paints of what is taking place in the church, it sounds much more akin to a modern, hyper-Pentecostal church. It is wild. Paul wants to teach them order and structure. They are ignorant of the proper ways to interact with God's Spirit as a church. They are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, but they are not utilizing that power in a way that is beneficial. So Paul writes to them that he doesn't want them to be uninformed. Now, look closely and tell me, say it out loud, what he doesn't want them to be uninformed about. Gifts of the Spirit, correct, right. Now, um... I took ancient Greek in seminary, and besides learning how to pronounce ancient Greek and how the language works, I also learned that to be competent at the language took another probably at least 10 years of studying. Um, I studied it for one, so, uh, and I had the help of a handy computer program. Man, modern living is amazing. Um, Bible translation from ancient Greek to English is hard work, and people devote their lives to it. And with that said, there's something kind of hiding in this translation that should be pointed out, and that has been highlighted, highlighted by not just yours truly, but by a number of scholars. So the word gifts that we have there in the English isn't actually there in the Greek. In the Greek, it is one word, pneumatikos, which is the word spirituals. For you English nerds, it's an adjective without a noun. Some translations have it as spiritual gifts or spiritual things. The problem with translating the word pneumatikos as gifts of the Spirit is that it can give the wrong idea of what the Spirit is trying to convey here to the Corinthian, or what, the, what Paul is trying to convey here to the Corinthian church. For example, if you can't tell, I'm six feet tall right here. That's, that's my height. Um, uh, my wife, Hannah, is five feet tall. And along with my height advantage, my arms are long for my height, uh, which makes buying like shirts and stuff kind of 
uh, difficult. Uh, but that also means I can reach stuff on the top shelf of cupboards very easily. Don't even have to stand on my tippy toes. My wife, on the other hand, has to climb onto the counters or at times grabs a spatula to kind of like reach it and kind of knock it off the shelf and catch it. Um, whatever she needs from the top shelf. So I, I am gifted with height. She is not. When we play hide-and-seek with the kids, uh, my gift becomes a curse, and her shortness becomes a huge advantage. She can hide in places I would never expect an adult to be able to hide in. It is so unfair. People have their unique gifts, things they're good at and excel in. However, that sort of stuff is not what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12. If it were, that would mean from the list of pneumaticos, you would have some but not others, or maybe just one if you're unlucky. Instead, Paul refers to this list in verse 7 as manifestations of the Spirit. The idea of this word is a revealing or unveiling not a list of natural talents or abilities. This is a list, uh, a list uh, uh, of stuff the Spirit does through us, distributing these when and how He sees fit. So look again at the list of manifestations of the Spirit, starting in verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. Okay, okay, there is a lot there, and we are not going to explain each one of these tonight. Uh, we actually did a seven-part series uh, back in 2019 on the Holy Spirit where, where we did take the time to do so. Uh, so go back and give it a listen if you're curious on the podcast. Um, tonight, we're going to focus in on uh, prophecy, tucked nicely into the middle of that list. Why prophecy? Well, turn in your Bible a page or two to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll just read verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially what? Prophecy, yeah. Eagerly desire all the things the Spirit does, all of these manifestations, long for them, but especially prophecy. We are focusing in on prophecy as a church because Paul focuses on prophecy. Now, what is prophecy exactly? Is it fortune-telling? Is it bizarre-sounding predictions of the future? Is it something else? Uh, there is a lot we could say about prophecy, but I want to just show you guys some, some definitions by different scholars and church leaders that may help us grasp this kind of somewhat confused concept of prophecy. If we were to start somewhere with defining prophecy, these would provide us a really helpful and good starting place. Uh, from Greg Haslam, prophecy is a phenomenon that results directly from the access the Holy Spirit has to our minds, whereby he can create pictures in our imaginations and supernatural dreams while we are asleep. He can put words, ideas, or pictures into our heads with such force that we know that there is something that carries with it the responsibility to pass on and relay what the Holy Spirit has communicate, communicated. 
Uh, ben Witherington, a Bible scholar, prophecy is a spontaneous utterance prompted by the Spirit and based on a sudden and uncontrived revelation from God. And then scholar Wayne Grudem says, speaking what God spontaneously brings to mind. That's his definition of prophecy. I think all of those definitions are helpful. This is what Paul is telling us to eagerly desire. This is something the Holy Spirit does in our lives, something he determines to give us as he sees fit. Now, there's a good chance that this raises questions about hearing voices in your head and what you're supposed to do with that. Um, In a bit, we'll work through a paradigm that puts safeguards and accountability into place for prophecy. So set aside those questions for now, and I'll come to them at the end. For now, let's ask ourselves the question, what is prophecy for? Look down at 1 Corinthians once more uh, for some context. Paul is teaching and correcting the Corinthian church. From the letter, it seems the church as a whole has been overemphasizing speaking in tongues and underemphasizing prophecy, uh, while at the same time excusing the chaos of their Sunday gatherings in their pursuit of the manifestations of the Spirit. The problem is that uh, visitors or new new people to the church are unnecessarily left bewildered by their behavior, and, and also it's not actually helpful for the church. It's not building people up as the Spirit intends. So Paul is taking the time to reorder their priorities and to add structure to their Sunday gathering and and their use of the manifestations of the Spirit. Again, if you're curious about all of this, we covered it much more extensively back in 2019. It's all up on the podcast. I will be saying that a couple more times in this teaching. It's kind of like a commercial. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, let's start in verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Now listen closely to this. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. What, according to Paul, is prophecy for within the context of the church? Strengthening, encouraging, and comfort not for controlling, manipulating, or tearing someone down. It is true that God's Spirit corrects and rebukes, but that is ultimately done for our strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And when the Spirit speaks, He sounds like that's His goal. He doesn't sound like an out-of-control, angry parent who's tearing their child down with their words for their own quote-unquote benefit. The Spirit speaking does not sound harsh or accusatory or demeaning. If that's what the Spirit sounds like to you, you're confusing His voice with something else. If the Spirit is speaking to you in order to pass His words or an idea along to someone, um, one way you can know it's the Spirit is if it is strengthening, encouraging, or comforting. If it isn't any of those things, it's not the Spirit. And I know there's a good chunk, chunk of people here tonight who have been hurt by someone, you know, supposedly speaking prophetically over them, but instead made harmful predictions or used it to try to manipulate you in some way. I know this because, you know, you've shared this with me and with others around you. 
And then for others of you here tonight, I know that you are scared of prophesying, of, of getting it wrong. You are uh, fearful of looking foolish or mis- misleading someone based on something you've shared that you thought was from the Spirit. And uh, again, I know this because you've shared this with me or with others around you. So for those of you who feel like there is good reason to hold back or to say, you know what, this is just not for me, I understand why you're saying that especially if you've been hurt, at the same time, I would gently challenge you to imagine what it would look like for you to eagerly desire prophecy instead of rejecting it flat out. When prophecy is misused or mistrusted, ultimately the proper response is not full-on to reject the practice of prophecy. The response that leads to healing and confidence is the proper use of prophecy. What would that that look like to you to step in that direction? I think it would be helpful for all of us, not just those who have reasons for personally struggling with prophecy, to kind of break down how prophecy works. Uh, If you're taking notes here, there's kind of this three-step process to prophecy that's helpful for us all to take into account. It's revelation, interpretation, and and, uh, application. The first step in prophecy is revelation. You receive something from the Spirit. It could be a single word or a phrase. It could be a type of moving picture in the mind's eye. A Bible verse or a story element from the Scriptures could come to mind. A meaningful song or lyric to a song. Those are some you know, specific ways the Spirit can speak to us. And, and hopefully you can tell by this uh, list that it's a pretty diverse way that He speaks. It, it doesn't look exactly the same for everyone. I tend to more often get a moving picture in my mind's eye. I have good friends who more often get like a scripture, story, or verse come to mind. My wife Hannah many times has, a, has had a meaningful song or lyric come to mind. I have very rarely had that happen to me, and none of those are better or worse. It's just the way the Spirit has determined to speak. And over time and with practice, you start to learn what it's like when the Spirit speaks. Sometimes it's very forceful and seems obvious. At other times, it seems a bit more questionable, and yet what has come to your mind is different enough that it could be the Spirit speaking. The more you practice, the more you're able to comfortably notice the difference between your thoughts and the things the Spirit might be speaking to you. Again, part of Greg Haslam's definition of prophecy, he can put words, ideas, or pictures into our heads with such force that we know that there is something that carries with it the responsibility to pass on and relay what the Holy Spirit has communicated. So that's revelation. The, the Spirit speaks to your mind. The next step is interpretation. The Spirit puts something into your mind, you notice it, and then you interpret it. What does it mean? Who is it for? At times, this can be pretty straightforward. Other times, it's very ambiguous. Now, um, you may be wondering at this point why the heck this process of the Spirit speaking to us and through us is so complicated. Why isn't it more straightforward? Why doesn't he speak more clearly and more directly? Uh, Two things I think we can say about this. The first is that uh, humans are not good communicators. Uh, We have a hard time understanding each other as we speak to one another face-to-face, audibly, with nonverbal cues. 
and still we misunderstand each other. Marriages end, straight up fall apart because of bad communication. Friendships are extinguished. Feelings are hurt. Um, Kids grow up believing lies about themselves or the world because of bad, bad communication. The Spirit is not bad at communicating. We are. So it will necessarily be a complicated process to get it right. And at times, we will get it wrong, not the Holy Spirit. The second thing to keep in mind is that the Spirit is a relational person, not a boss generating memos for their employees. Uh, The Spirit is more interested in our relationship with Him than efficiency at getting stuff done. There are times when the lack of clarity draws us closer to the Spirit, when the uh, the Spirit actually uses it to to motivate us to, to turn our attention to Him when we otherwise would not. Back in 2014, when I sat in that dark closet under the stairs, I did not receive whatever it was I was hoping to receive. Um, I didn't really know at that time what I was supposed to receive, but nothing came to mind. Uh, Fast forward almost a year from that dark closet, and, and I made the decision to be a part of this fledgling church plant. At the same time, I was being introduced to the theology and practice of hearing from God's Spirit, much of the stuff that we're covering tonight. It was uh, spiritually, like, revolutionary for me. Each day after work, I'd come home, say hey to Hannah, and head upstairs to a spare bedroom where I'd spend an hour or more practicing listening prayer, attuning my thoughts to God's Spirit. I would write down what I thought I was hearing, and then when I was finished, I'd head downstairs and talk to Hannah about it. And one, one thing I thought uh, the Spirit brought to mind was a bizarre picture that I could hardly make sense of. However, I, I had a feeling it, it had something to do with me and anger, which seemed off because, I, I don't know, I consider myself a really chill dude. <laughs> me? Angry? No way. Um, but I wrote it down, and over a two-year period would occasionally come back to it and ask the Spirit why it came to mind. And slowly but surely, through counseling and some helpful insights from the Enneagram, I came to an understanding that I actually did have anger. I was just suppressing and avoiding it. Looking back on that now, I'm staggered, staggered, that the Spirit would not only speak to something that I was unaware of, my anger, but that for two years, He patiently continued to speak to me about this part of my heart. He did not grow impatient or harsh or withdraw from me. I found it and still find it very comforting that he was at work in places in, in, in the depths of my soul that I was unaware of. Sometimes the Spirit's ambiguity is for our benefit. The, the step of interpretation can be tricky. Uh, sometimes it's unclear or not as clear as we would like, and I think it needs to be said that when it comes to hearing from the Spirit and prophecy, certainty is, is very rarely, if ever, involved. Instead, you can have different levels of confidence from, from high to low. You know, keep the things you feel the Spirit is speaking with an open hand with the humility and understanding that you could be incorrectly interpreting what the Spirit is saying. To practice prophecy, you have to be okay with a lack 
of certainty. There is an unavoidable element of risk involved with prophecy, but let me tell you a little secret. Um, We are all wrong from time to time. I've certainly been wrong. Times when I've been fairly confident, I was hearing from the Spirit, I was wrong. And then at times when I thought it was a toss-up, whether I was receiving from the, something from the Spirit, it, you know, it speaks directly to a person's situation in a way I couldn't have predicted. The Spirit reveals something to us, we think about it, perhaps ask Him a follow-up question or two, and, and then we do our best to humbly share it with the person we think it's intended for. That leads to the last step, application. We hear from the Spirit, we interpret what He's saying and who it's for, and then we respond appropriately. We share it with the person we think it's for, or if it's for ourselves, we you know, act accordingly. It's never, God told me that, or God says that we communicate what we hear or what we've heard humbly. Why? Because we could be wrong. We say something like, I could be wrong, but I think the Spirit is saying, or tell me if I'm off here, but I get the sense that the Spirit was saying, on and on and on. And then we let the person go through their own process of interpreting what we've shared and applying it to to their lives appropriately. Sometimes uh, what we share or receive from somebody is deeply profound and meaningful, something that changes uh, the person in some way, their attitude or perspective or understanding or something. And then sometimes we share or receive things that are merely a momentary encouragement or a reminder or comfort, something that we probably wouldn't remember with specificity in 20 years, but is encouraging or strengthening or comforting today and, and maybe tomorrow too. Remember, remember the, the Spirit determines what to give out through prophecy. That's His job. If you want something shared that's a big deal or just something that's nice for the day, allow Him to choose that. It's best if we don't put undue pressure and expectations for a prophetic message to be more or less than what the Spirit intends it to be. Now, let me say a few words about where we can go wrong in each of these three steps of prophecy. So again, if you're taking notes, this might be uh, interesting to you. Revelation can go wrong in at least three ways. The first is that we don't take the time to listen. We don't pay attention, and, and so we miss out on what the Spirit is saying to us. The remedy to this is to slow down and set aside time to focus your attention on God's Spirit and receive from Him what He wants to say to you. The second is that we mistake our own thoughts for the Spirit speaking. This will always be a possibility when hearing from the Spirit. You know, experience and wisdom and knowledge of the Scriptures are really helpful to counter this, but it will never be perfect. The third mistake is that we can hear from a Spirit other than the Holy Spirit. And I know when I say that that some of you are rolling your eyes hard right now, but like it or not, that is the worldview of the Scriptures. There are more spirits than just the Holy Spirit that can speak to us. And the New Testament commands us to test what we or someone else who shares a a prophetic message. Test it. Don't just buy it hook, line, and sinker. This is true for both the person sharing a prophetic word or a person receiving one, even from someone they trust. It must be tested. And we'll talk about that in a bit on how we can all do that. 
So we've talked about this idea of more spirits than just the Holy Spirit as a church. Again, back in the Holy Spirit series in 2019 and from our series Fighting the World, the Flesh, and the Devil at the end of 2018. You can find both on the podcast yeah, or at vancity.church slash teaching. Listen to those two series if you're curious or this worldview of the scriptures sounds bizarre to you. Unless you all want to be here all night, I'm going to move ahead, okay? All right, good. Listen to the podcast. All right, that, that's some ways revelation can go wrong. Interpret, interpretation can go wrong in a couple different ways. You can fail to ask the Spirit for clarity. Uh, sometimes there's ambiguity, and the natural response should be to ask the Spirit, what do you mean by this? Instead, perhaps we're in a hurry or some other reason. We just take a stab in the dark at the meaning uh, of something you feel he's saying. Just slow down and see if the Spirit wants to bring more clarity. On the flip side, we can go wrong if we feel entitled to a large degree of clarity or expect certainty in what we hear. This can paralyze us from sharing what we think the Spirit is saying. Sometimes we're not sure why something came to mind, but the Spirit is compelling us to share it anyway. Or we're not certain it's from the Spirit, so we just keep it to ourselves. I was praying for someone a few years ago at, at Van City. They were struggling as they felt spiritually stuck, you know, pretty general stuff. So we listened to the Spirit together, and I had come to my mind's eye a red pickup truck with a bearded gentleman that was wearing plaid. I had no clue what this meant. I asked the Spirit silently to add clarity, and he did not. Uh, so I had a choice, and I would have been way more comfortable keeping it to myself and saving myself from the potential embarrassment from getting this wrong. However, I felt strongly that I should share it anyways, and so I did. I confessed to the person I had no idea why this came to mind or what it meant, and that I could be way off on this, and I kind of anticipated that I was. Instead, he looked really surprised and said to me, uh, you just described my best friend and his truck, except uh, we had a falling out a while ago, and even though I kind of feel like God wants to reconcile uh, us, uh, I've been avoiding it. So our time praying together centered on him reconciling to his friend. Failing to ask for clarity can be a mistake, and expecting clarity every time or certainty can be a mistake as well. Application. So I just want to focus on one thing that can go wrong with application. It's when we don't do anything. It's when we receive and don't share, we don't respond with obedience. When the Spirit asks us to do something, uh, He actually expects us to act. Now, I know from personal experience that um, He's very kind and patient, that when we bumble things or mess things up, He's not critical or harsh. But I also know of many, many situations where people have lamented that they don't hear from the Spirit. You know, they ask Him questions and ask Him to speak, and they hear nothing. After, you know, some conversation, what comes out is that the Spirit at one point was speaking clearly, asking them to do something reasonable but not what they wanted to do, so they didn't do it. This is not, not, this is not true for everyone who is struggling to hear from the Spirit. There are many more reasons than just this one, but for some people, it is the reason. So after, a, you know, a season of resisting the Spirit's lead in their lives, the Spirit didn't seem to be speaking to them. 
not because he was being petty and pouting and giving them the silent treatment. It's because he had already spoken to them many times about what he wanted, and they said no over and over again. The silence isn't punishment. It's a different way the Spirit is telling a person in this situation that something is off in their relationship to him. And people in this situation are most needful of their brothers and sisters around them speaking prophetically into their lives. All right, um, let's take a breath. I know that was a lot. That, that was a lot, and you guys did really well. Um, I was sitting back reflecting on, on my own experience of God's Spirit in the dark closet and, you know, a prophecy uh, as I was writing this teaching. As, and as I did so, uh, I asked the Spirit, uh, what do you want prophecy to look like at Van City, at our, at our church? Why should I take, you know, whatever, 40 minutes on a Sunday to teach all these people about prophecy? Why should you all listen and care what I have to say? Why should we take on the risk inherent with prophecy as a church? Uh, I recalled this story early, early from Van City. Early on in the life of, of Van City, Josh and I went down to San Diego for a church planting conference. There was a respected scholar leading many of the, the sessions, but it was hosted by some people who were very comfortable and experienced with, uh, you know, manifestations of the Spirit and were very open to the Spirit interrupting the schedule. So I can recall... <laughs> Worked out in my favor, you'll see. I can recall vividly one of the sessions referenced a story from the scriptures about Noah and his sons, and towards the end of the session, one of the more experienced pastors there came forward and shared that he felt God wanted to speak to people in the crowd from that story who had wounds from their fathers. And I thought to myself, great. <laughs> I had a gnarly childhood and a dad who was the opposite of a good dad in pretty much every way you could imagine. And, and, and sure enough, this, this pastor gently invited those of us with wounds from their fathers to come up to the stage in front of the whole conference. And as a kicker, he asked us to do it walking backward as a way to allude to the story about Noah and his sons. So, it, you know, doubly embarrassing, right? Walk up backward, up in front of everyone to acknowledge my bad childhood. I wanted to reject this invitation and sit comfortably in my chair, but I also really wanted to be open to what God might want to do. So I stood up, and a number of us walked backward all the way up to the front of the stage and faced the crowd. Uh, this pastor then started moving down the line of people speaking a prophetic sentence or two over each person, kind of rapid fire. He spoke very kindly and gently, but confidently as he prophesied over each person. And, and he got to me, and because of like the stage lights, I couldn't even see his face. I, I just remember like the gist of his words. And I think the only words this pastor, really this stranger, has ever spoken to me. He said something to the effect of, the Father wants you to know that you don't have to try so hard to run the race and earn a trophy. And when he said this, I just started weeping. When he spoke those words, I felt this weight lift off of me in an instant. I have lived a large part of my life motivated by the desire to not be my dad. 
He did horrible things, and I wanted to do great things to show that I was not him. However, I hadn't, to that moment, given much thought to how that motivation had been crushing me for years. This man, this stranger, spoke a sentence over me, something I believe was from the Spirit, something that revealed and healed a part of me in a single moment. Along with this story, I also felt uh, compelled to share something else. Uh, Just this week, while I was writing this teaching, someone in my community out of the blue sent me a text with what they felt God wanted to say to me, a a prophetic word. I don't think the person realized I was writing a teaching about prophecy. I I didn't expect the text, and I'm sure they didn't expect me to allude to it. But when I read it, when I read this text, I was encouraged. I thought about how God was shaping my love to look like His and was grateful for the transforming work in my life. I felt cared for by my friend, and that word sat in my mind for a couple of days. It wasn't something I didn't already know, but it gave me a direction to focus my attention as I thought about God's work in my life. I was grateful for the willingness of my friend to share this with me. I didn't weep. A long-held weight wasn't lifted from my soul, but I was encouraged and strengthened by what he shared. It was valuable to me. Why these stories came to mind, I believe, is not that a scene like, like what happened to me at the conference needs to play out every Sunday at Van City. You know, powerful prophecy and a deep spiritual and emotional healing and resonance. Why I think it was brought to my mind is that It shows what could happen on any given Sunday and that we as a church wouldn't be surprised when it did. The Spirit might determine to give a prophetic word that is deeply meaningful and healing to someone or a group of people in the church and we would be ready to receive it and share that word. I hope that prophecy would be such a part of our church that we would be hardly shocked to get a text message from a friend or from somebody in our community like the one that I got. Less explosively emotional and impactful and more subtle and ordinary and yet still from the same Spirit of God. Both are valuable and needed and our hope is as a church we would prophesy and receive prophetic words that were both ordinary and extraordinary that as a church we would be open to receive whatever the Spirit determined to give us. And also that we would approach this together with a large degree of grace and patience for one another, because prophecy can be awkward, uh, especially when you're new at it. Um, Thankfully, the vast majority of the time, the stakes are, are actually pretty low. So there is plenty of room at Van City for those prophesying with confidence and experience and those slowly learning to give it a shot for trial and error and also for slow growth in confidence and experience. And ultimately that you and I and Van City as a whole would be built up through prophecy, that we would experience the strengthening, the encouragement, and the comfort that comes through the Spirit speaking through our brothers and sisters. To end tonight, I want to give us a quick rubric for evaluating whether something is from the Spirit or not. It doesn't guarantee that we won't still get it wrong from from time to time, but it will safeguard us 
from becoming the hipper, modern version of the city of Munster, circa 1534. If you're taking notes, the first safeguard is the Scriptures. Prophecy always, always must agree in tone and substance uh, with what the Scripture says. The Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the Scriptures, and He will not contradict Himself. The Spirit speaks consistently. This means we test every prophetic message against the Scriptures. If it harmonizes, harmonizes with what the Scriptures say, then it passes one safeguard. If it does not harmonize, then whoever thought the Spirit was speaking to them just got it wrong that time. The second safeguard is whether it harmonizes with the recipient's life. Sometimes the Spirit asks us to do something that seems totally out of the blue, but I think this is a more of a rare occurrence, very rare occurrence. If someone shared with me that the Spirit wanted me to become a baker, you know, I could run it through the first rubric and find that it certainly doesn't contradict Scripture. There are bakers in the Bible. But I not only, uh, I not only hate baking, <laughs> but I'm also terrible at it. Nobody would want to eat my baked goods. There's nothing in my life that has indicated that I should become a baker. It doesn't harmonize with my life. And so I wouldn't blow up my life over one prophetic word to become a baker. Lastly, prophecy is a community gift. Paul is writing to a church, to a group of people, meaning it's intended to be shared with others. This is both for accountability and encouragement. If someone shared a prophetic word that, that I should become a baker, it would be wise to share it with trusted people like my Van City community and my wife. They could confidently affirm that I suck at baking and it doesn't make sense for me to become a baker. So we have the scriptures, our lives, and our community as a safeguard for prophecy. It's not foolproof, but a necessary aspect of prophecy. Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Van City financially at vancity.church/give.